All right, amen. Thank you, choir, for that great job this morning. We will be back in the book of Mark today, continuing on where we left off a couple of weeks ago. We've had a few things going on since then. We've had Shoebox Sunday, and then, of course, last Sunday we had a revival. Uh, but today we'll be back in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 22 is where we will start this morning. And we will read through verse 27. Mark chapter 3, verses 22 through 27. Let's pray, and then we'll dig into the Word. Father God, we come to you this morning, and I pray, God, that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would help me to preach and teach in a way that's going to help your people to grow in you, dear Lord, that you're going to be glorified in this place today, God. And I pray, God, as we sing the words to that song, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. I pray that those would not just be words we would sing, but that would be the life that we would live. God, I pray that our hearts would desire Jesus more than anything in this world. And I pray that you would help us to live that out. God, I pray that you help me not to ramble today. God, I pray that you help me just to preach and teach your word in the way that you want it done today. And I pray that you open our hearts, that you open our minds, God, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out in this place, that your Spirit will work among us, dear Lord. You know what our struggles are. You know what's on our hearts. You know what's on our mind, dear Lord. You know the tactics of the enemy and the temptations that we that we have, God, and I pray today that you help us to overcome those things by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, dear Lord. And I pray that you just you just bless this service. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. <coughs> Amen. Mark chapter 3, verse 22. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul in him, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rebels against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. On the other hand, no one can enter a strong man's house and rob his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he will rob his house. Now, leading up to this point in Mark chapter 3, we've seen Jesus do many miracles. He's done some miracles. He's done some preaching. He's drove out uh, some demons. And upon when we get to this part that we're at here today, Jesus had done all these things and he had returned home at the beginning of this passage that we started a couple weeks ago. And there were so many people that were still continuing to gather around Jesus that they couldn't even eat. They didn't even have time to eat. There were so many people around. Now, Jesus' family and friends and those who belonged to him, the scripture says, they thought Jesus was out of his mind because of all this stuff that was going on. And so did the Pharisees. Now, Jesus' family and friends didn't think the way that the Pharisees thought. They probably just thought, what is he thinking doing these things? But the charges that the Pharisees brought against Jesus were very serious charges because they were saying that Jesus was the devil. And that's what they were saying. As they saw Jesus do all of these things that were taking place, they said he's doing these things by the very power of Satan himself. 
Now, it says here in verse 22 that the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem, just a little side note there, you will always see people coming down from Jerusalem or going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem in Scripture is always higher, so people will never be going down to Jerusalem or coming up from Jerusalem. People are always coming down from Jerusalem or going up to Jerusalem. That's not too significant to the teaching today, but just a little thing you may notice as you read. And so the scribes had come down from Jerusalem, and they said, He has Beelzebul in him, and he drives out demons by the rulers of the demons. Now, this is a very serious charge here that they're making about Jesus. Now, they use the phrase there to say that he has Beelzebul in him. Now, depending on your translation, it may say Beelzebul, ending with an L, or it may say Beelzebub, ending with a B. Now, that, ver- uh, that word there is formed from a couple of, of different words. Uh, one is Baal. Now, we see the word Baal all the time in the Old Testament. And that's talking about false gods and fake gods and all of the gods that we see the Canaanites uh, worship as the Israelites go into the land of Canaan. Uh, they are called the Baals. And the second part of the word is Zebul or Zebul. Now, those words are spelled and looked very similarly but they have slightly different meanings. Now, uh, some of your translations say Zebub, and that means the fly. Now, Biel means Lord, and Zebub means fly. So, uh, if we were to translate that literally, when we see Biel Zebub, that would mean Lord of the Flies. Now, Zebul means house, and so if we were to translate that, it would mean Lord of the House. Now, the translations seem to be kind of split down the middle on this as to which ones say Zebul and which ones say Zebub. Uh, it, it seems more likely to me that the proper translation here may be Zebul because it's speaking of Lord of the house. And in the context of the passage that we are reading here, it talks about uh, Jesus going into the strong man's house. And so that seems to fit the context of both this passage and some parallel accounts of this same story that have some other information about an evil spirit entering a man's house. And so uh, it, it seems as though Zivol may be the proper translation here, and that would make sense, that he's speaking of uh, the Lord of the house here, that the Pharisees are saying, look, uh, he is the Beelzebub, he is the Lord of the house, or it could be that he is the Lord of the flies. That would be a, maybe a, a kind of demeaning way to look at Satan. But what really matters is not how we take Zebul or Zebub, but what really matters is that we understand who is being talked about here. Now, who is being talked about here, Jesus tells us in the following verses. They are speaking of Satan. When they say he has Beelzebub or Beelzebul, what they are Satan saying is, Jesus has Satan in him. Jesus is Satan. He drives out demons, or some translations say devils. He drives out the demons, or the minions of the devil, because he is the devil himself. Now, they are not attributing God's power, or excuse me, Jesus' power to God. They are attributing the power that Jesus has to the devil. Now, that's a very, very strong uh, stance to take against Jesus. Now, we know the Pharisees did not like Jesus, They Even up to this point, we're only three and a half chapters in, and we know they can't stand Jesus. They want to do everything they can to get rid of Jesus. And so to try to discredit him, uh, they are saying, look, he has a devil in him, or he is the devil himself, and that is what gives him the ability to cast out these demons. Now, we talked several weeks back 
about Jesus when he would drive out a demon. Uh, he, would, he would tell people that he healed often or he would tell people that he drove a demon out of. He would want them to be quiet because the demons recognized who he was. And they even said at one point in, uh, a few weeks ago at the beginning of Mark, they were trying to acknowledge that he, who he was. And Jesus made the demons be quiet. Now, I told you one reason why Jesus may have done that is because he didn't want any praise. He didn't want the people who had, had a miracle done, or he didn't want the demons uh, bringing out who he was because his hour had not yet come, and he didn't want to make a big deal, and he didn't want any praise. That's one possibility. And here today we're introduced to another possibility of why he may not have wanted the demons to speak. And maybe a more plausible reason why. And, and that is because he did not want the demons giving him any praise because the Pharisees already thought he had a demon. Had the demons come out and gave him praise, it may have given the Pharisees some argument to say, see, he is the controller of the demons. He is telling the demons what to do. Even the demons are praising him. And so perhaps this is the reason why Jesus did not want the demons to praise him. He did not want the Pharisees to have any uh, fuel to add to the fire. He did not want them to say, well, even the demons are praising you. So instead, he made the demons shut up. He kept them quiet. Because Jesus, of course, was not possessed by a demon. He was indeed the very Son of God. The miracles that he possessed, uh, that he did, that he performed, uh, were because they were from the Lord, not because they were from the devil. He was able to drive out the devil, not because he was of the devil, but because he was God in the flesh. And so the Pharisees come against him, and they bring this, this pretty... Uh, uh, horrendous charge against him. Now, uh, not only were the, the Pharisees going to do this to Jesus, but Jesus even gives his disciples a warning in Matthew chapter 10, verse 25. He says, is it, it is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of the household? So Jesus tells his disciples something here that we kind of see this theme throughout Scripture, and that is you can know what they're going to do to you because you can see what they're going to do to me. And Jesus says if they think I do these things through the devil, then they're going to think that you do the works that you're going to do through the devil too. But the works that Jesus did and the works that the disciples were going to do once Jesus ascended back to heaven were works that were from God and from God alone. Now, Jesus, knowing what the Pharisees said here, gives them, uh, he, he corrects their, their thinking. He corrects their thinking by telling them it's pretty foolish to think that he is Satan himself driving out these demons, that that doesn't even really make sense if you break it down. So he tells them in verse 23, So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself... That kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rebels against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is finished. Now, Jesus makes a pretty clear point that's easy for them to understand. Uh, Satan is trying to establish his own power. Satan is trying to establish his own kingdom. You cannot establish a kingdom by fighting against yourself. That's always going to cause the downfall of anything, whether it's something small that we are involved in or whether it's a whole nation. 
If the people are fighting against one another, that does not strengthen that nation or that project or group of people or whatever it may be. Whatever it is that's being worked on is, is in turn destroyed because of the fighting that comes within. Now, we can, we can look at this in several different areas and kind of see how this plays out just in our normal life. Now, football season is among us, praise the Lord. I know Michelle is thrilled about that, which means lots of good football in our house, and I'm thrilled about it too. But one thing uh, that, is, that is necessary for football and any sport for that matter is for a team to be good, the team must work together. The team must work together with themselves against the opponent. Now, anytime we see a sport, there are always two teams, and the other team that's not your team is the opponent. Now, as long as your team or the team you're rooting for is working together, they're doing what they're supposed to do, and they're helping one another out, then chances are they're probably going to be successful. But take, for instance, a football team. If the, if the quarterback all of a sudden begins to uh, throw it to the other team uh, or, 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 or the person who, uh, who has the ball gives it to the other team or instead of blocking for your man who's running down the field, all of your linemen begin to block one another instead of blocking the other team, well, all of a sudden, guess what happens? If you are, if you are fighting amongst yourselves, then that gives the opponent all the power they need to overtake you. Now, that's a pretty simple illustration, but we get the point. Teams have to work together. You can't help out the other team by fighting amongst yourself. The same could be true if we look at uh, the military. If, if a country is going to war, uh, a general is going to gather up the troops, they're going to build up the troops, they're going to train the troops, they're going to teach them how to fight together, how to look out for one another, so that when they go to war, they're all fighting the enemy, the one who's coming against them. Now, if soldiers go to war and they begin to fight amongst themselves and they begin to shoot one another, then guess what? Pretty soon, the army is going to be gone. Well, how can the army stand against the enemy if the army has destroyed itself? Well, they can't do that. The same could be said of the church as well. As a body of Christ, we are believers who are to work together for the kingdom of God, to do God's work, to love on people, to teach them, to show them, to let them know who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for them. Now, as long as the church, as we are all working together, and we are all doing our little parts, no matter how simple they may be or how major that we may think they may be, as long as we are working together, as long as we are striving to stay in good relation with one another and not argue amongst one another and not hate one another and not backstab one another, if we are loving one another and working together, then chances are we're going to be able to do great things for the kingdom of God by His power. We are going to be able to help people. We are going to be able to love on people. We are going to be able to tell them and teach them and show them who Jesus Christ is. But as a church, if we do not work together, if we begin to uh, bite and devour one another, as the Scripture would say, well, guess what? We're not going to be very effective for the kingdom of God. We may be effective to some extent, but how much more effective could we be if we were all pulling in the same direction and we were all working together? Now, Jesus says, this is a stupid, stupid idea you've come up with. How can Satan... 
create his own kingdom and overpower God by fighting amongst himself. That, that kingdom will never stand. Satan will never be able to build anything or, or obtain any power in that way. That's a, that's a stupid argument to think that the, the power that I have to drive out demons comes from Satan himself. That you would call me Satan and say that is where my power is from. Well, that's a stupid argument. Now, Jesus was indeed doing these miracles, and he was indeed driving out demons, but he was not doing that by a power that came from Satan. He was doing it by the power that came from God. Now, we see this same uh, story here in a couple of other passages. You can reflect on those this week if you want to and kind of see that there are some differences in those and some different details. It could be that these were different events that were very similar. It's possible that some similar things occurred to Jesus multiple times. It could be the same event being told by different people. But if you look in Luke chapter 11 or Matthew chapter 12, uh, you will read a, a similar event to this that we looked at in Mark with a few different details. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus asked them another question. He says, And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, who is it your sons drive them out by? Well, that kind of puts them on the spot there. Because if they had some of their own that were also able to drive out demons, and their logic is, well, demons are driven out by a demon, well, if he asks them this question, what are they going to say? Well, they can't say, well, our sons, those who are among us, well, they're not demon-possessed. And so it's a, it's a question that would make them come to one conclusion. Well, naturally, our sons drive them out by the power of God. And Jesus drives the demons out by the power of God. And so oftentimes Jesus asks the Pharisees and those who come against him uh, different questions to try to get them to think. A question that if they answer it one way, it's going to put them on the spot. If they answer it another way, it's going to, to shed light and glory on Jesus Christ. And they never want to do that, so they are not too quick to answer. Jesus says, who is it your sons cast out demons by? He puts them on the spot. Well, they can't say that their sons have a demon. That would be horrible. But they also can't acknowledge that their sons drive them out by God because, well, then they may have to acknowledge that Jesus himself is of God. So Jesus takes their, 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 their argument, their, their, their coming against him, their complaint against him, uh, and their accusation against him that he is indeed demon-possessed or has Satan within him or is Satan himself, and that's where his power comes from. He takes that and he says, look, that's a silly argument. The power to drive out demons does not come from demons. It comes from God himself. Let's read a little further in verse 27. So then Jesus is going to give them the proper understanding of how he is using his power, where his power is coming from, and the fact that he has authority over the demons because he is the Son of God and indeed is God himself. In verse 27, he says, On the other hand... No one can enter a strong man's house and rob his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he will rob his house. Now, the strong man in this particular verse is Satan. Now, the house, this is, this, is, this is a parable. This is language that's not speaking literal. He's not saying that Satan really lives in a house and he's going to go in and rob his house uh, and, and we shouldn't look at Jesus as a thief. This is a parable. He's making a point here. He's saying, look, no one can go in and rob a strong man's house and take his possessions 
unless he first ties him up, unless he binds him first to where he does not have any power, where he cannot stop him. There is one who comes in who is stronger than the strong man, who binds the strong man, who ties him up. And then the one who is stronger than the strong man is able to take those possessions that belong to the strong man. Now, in this passage here, the strong man is Satan. His house is this world and all those who are living in sin that Satan has convinced to continue to live in the sinful lifestyle and live for the world, those who have not turned to Jesus. That is Satan's household. That is those who follow Satan, so to speak. That is those who are doing all these evil things. Now, up until the point of Jesus, Satan had had pretty much authority in this world. He had been able to deceive people for many years, and there was uh, none that could stand against him apart from God himself. And Satan had kind of had his way in the world. He had had some authority in this world to do the things that he was going to do. Now, that was not authority that was gained on his own. Anything that Satan has been able to do or will ever be able to do is only because God allows him to do it. Not because Satan has any power in and of himself. Only Satan, Satan can only do what God allows him to do. Now, he's had control of this house. He's had reign of this house, that is, this world, and been able to deceive people for thousands of years now. And he continues to deceive people. But one stronger than him has come, praise the Lord. And that's what Jesus is saying in these verses. He's saying, look, Satan has had his reign for a long time. Jesus says, look, I am able to come in and overtake Satan, the one who runs the house, because I am stronger than he. Now, before Satan came into the picture, for those few days that it was, uh, things were pretty good on this world. God had placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He had given them one instruction, and that was not to eat from the one particular tree. And as long as they didn't eat from that tree, things would be well for them. They would have nothing to worry about. Now, God was in complete control. God had placed them there. God had created them, and everything was to be good for them. They were to be able to stay in the garden, and they would have been taken care of. Except here comes that old serpent that is the devil. The scriptures tell us in Revelation who the serpent is, and it is, no doubt, uh, 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 the serpent is Satan himself. And so here comes this serpent in the garden who is able to convince Eve and also Adam to partake of this fruit from the tree that they are not supposed to eat from. Now, we see in the scriptures that God had given authority for man to rule the earth and all of the earth and all of the animals in the earth. We see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God had created this earth in his power and in his authority, and he had bestowed the authority over the animals of the earth and of the earth itself to human beings. That authority was given to us as human beings. And should Adam and Eve not have sinned, or all the humans that come after them not have sinned, uh, that authority that God had given would still be in place today. We would still be rulers of the, of the things of the earth. But there was a problem. The serpent came into the picture, and the serpent was able to deceive Adam and Eve. He was able to tempt them to listen to him and not to listen to God. They decided they weren't going to listen to God. They were going to listen to the serpent. And so the serpent comes in and deceives them. And in a moment, they sin. 
In a moment, they lose the abilities that God had given them to be in the Garden of Eden, to be taken care of. And now Satan has an in in this world. He has an opportunity to come in and, and, and entice people and to, and to cause people, to tempt people to sin. And Satan has been doing that ever since Adam and Eve, and he has had his way in this world, or had his way, I should say, in this world for many years until Jesus Christ came onto the scene. Now, Adam sinned and, 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 and caused death for all people. That was the uh, result of sin in our lives. That was a result of Adam, and we still are experiencing the consequences of that death right now. Now, apart from Jesus Christ, if death were to come to us, if Jesus Christ had never come, then we would have no hope. There would be no hope for us. Death would be the end, and then we would suffer for all of eternity, I suppose. There would be no way that we could be with the Lord. Now, until Jesus Christ came, that was the power that Satan had. He had that power. There was death that was always going to come. That death was going to come because of our sin, and our sin was going to keep us separated from God. But God wasn't pleased with that, and so God came up with a solution, and that solution was Jesus Christ himself. And so until the time of Jesus, Satan had had run of the house, so to speak. He had been able to deceive people and lead people into sin. Sin had led to death, and our sin was going to keep us separated from God. And Satan had used whatever authority he may have gained by causing Adam and Eve to sin. Whatever God had allowed him to do, he had done those things to deceive many people. Now we know that Satan does that because we see it mentioned in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are of God, that is, those who are Christians and follow Jesus, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Now, that's true. It was true when John wrote these words, and it's still true for us today. There are many in this world who are under the sway of the evil one. In John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now, in the verses leading up to that, in the context, Jesus had said throughout the Scriptures on some occasions that His hour had not yet come. But in this particular passage, He was saying, My hour has come. The time is near. I'm about to give my life on a cross. That time had come. The hour had come. And with that, with the time at hand, He says, Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now he's speaking of Satan here, and he refers to him as the ruler of this world. Now he has had some rule over this world. Again, whatever rule he has has been because God has allowed him to have that. He's had that rule, I believe, because humanity sinned and gave in to him, and he has that rule over people as a result of that. And many people, including Christians, sometimes continue to sin. But even though he has that authority, he will not have that authority forever. And indeed, he does no longer have the authority that he once has because of Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. Jesus said, look, the strong man, uh, is, 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 his, his possessions cannot be taken unless he is first bound. And when Jesus Christ came, when he died on the cross, he overcame any power that Satan had. The power of death, the power of sin, and the authority is with Jesus Christ. The authority is with God where it has always been. As before, we didn't have any power on our own to stand up to the devil. We didn't have anything we could do to escape death. We didn't have anything we could 
do to be forgiven of our sins. But now, in Jesus Christ, in the blood that was shed on the cross, now we can stand up to the devil because the one who has saved our souls is stronger than the one who possesses the things of the house, who possesses the things of this world. All the evil that we see in this world, we can now overcome, not by our own powers, but by the power of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Matthew chapter 4 verse 9 says, And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Now this is Satan here talking to Jesus, trying to tempt Jesus in the same way that he tempted Adam and Eve. Now Jesus knew what his what his duty was. He knew what he was sent for. He was sent to be a sacrifice for the world. He knew what the Father told him to do, had sent him to do. And the devil tries to do right here the very same thing he tried to do with Adam. The same thing he tried to do with Adam and Eve, and that is get them to deny the Father. To get him to decide, hey look, you don't want to listen to what God says. Listen to what I say. Listen to what I can give you. Do, do what I tell you to do. Now that's the tactic he used with Adam and Eve, and through Adam, sin came and death came. But his tactics did not work against Jesus Christ. Now he tries here to give him the world. He says, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Now had Jesus given in to the temptation of Satan there and, 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 and did what he said, if he would have worshipped Satan, then guess who would have had the authority then? It would have been Satan himself who would have had the authority. And Satan in his authority said, I'll give you all this world, I'll give you all these things. But Jesus did not give Satan the authority. He did not give in. Where we as human beings sometimes fail and give in, where Adam and Eve gave in, where Adam brought uh, sin and death to the world, Jesus Christ brought redemption because he did not give in to the temptations of Satan. He did not give in to those tactics. He did not say, I'm going to listen to what you say over what the Father says. Instead, Jesus chose to be obedient to the Father and not give in to those temptations. And Jesus, in all his authority, has conquered Satan and all any authority that he may have ever had. And through Jesus Christ coming, he has bound the strong man. And through binding the strong man, that means freedom for us. Before Jesus came, there was nothing we could do against Satan. He, 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 he had brought sin into this world. He had brought death into this world. And there was no way that we could escape that. But now in Jesus Christ, we are not, we are not under that sin. We are not uh, going to have death have the final say because we are going to overcome death in Jesus Christ. Before, Satan had some rule in this world. But now, Jesus Christ reigns on the throne. The authority doesn't belong to Satan, it belongs to Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, it says, And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death and its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. So all of those things that Satan once had against us Jesus Christ has come and he has taken all of those things away and it tells us here Paul says look he's taken it away by nailing it to the cross praise the Lord he goes on to say he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly he triumphed, triumphed over them by him 
So anything that, that Satan had, any weapons that he had, any power that he had, were disarmed when Jesus Christ died on the cross and was resurrected. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of, the, of his Messiah have now come, because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Now what a beautiful passage to show us that Satan has no more authority. He has no power. He cannot stand against Jesus Christ. He has lost any ability that he had because of Jesus Christ and the cross. Our accuser, who used to could accuse us before God and say they're just sinners, they're just sinners, dear Lord, there's nothing they can do. Well, now he can no longer say that because now we are sinners saved by grace. And so the victory has come through Jesus Christ and any power that Satan has had has been demolished by Jesus Christ on the cross. In Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22, speaking of the same uh, passage that, we, that we're looking at here in Mark, talking about the strong man, Jesus says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his estate, his possessions are secure. But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder. Now, the one stronger is Jesus Christ. Satan had his weapons, he had his tactics, he had his ways, he had what little power he had, but now through Jesus Christ one stronger has come and he has bound the strong man. That is, he has bound Satan. And through Satan's binding we have received freedom. Satan can't keep us at his beck and call now because now we have the power of Jesus Christ. He has no authority over us. I could today, I could tell you guys, all right, nobody is to get up and leave this church for the rest of the day. You are to sit there, you are to not talk, you are to not look at each other. And who would listen to me? Well, none of you would listen to me. Eventually, you would all get out and walk. I can't make you stay here. Well, I have no authority over you. But Satan still tries to act like he has authority. It's like a prisoner sitting in a jail cell with no door. And there are some people who are sitting in prison by sin today when they don't have to be. And maybe even some in this room. And the devil's saying, you do this, you do that. He puts those temptations in our path. And we just keep doing them like we can't stand against them. And all the while, there's no jail cell holding us in. The door's not there. We could freely walk out at any time. We could freely quit, quit this sinning. We could, we could freely follow Jesus Christ and be free from the sins that are in our life. But many people, Satan has deceived, and they are under the power of sin when they don't have to be if they would turn to the power of Jesus Christ. Don't let sin rule in your life because the devil has no power anymore. If, if, if there are temptations that come, if there are things that are in your life, you can overcome those things by the very power of Jesus Christ. Your freedom has come in Jesus Christ because he has bound the power of Satan, because he has tied him up, because he has taken away all of his possessions, because he has taken away all his strengths. Only the ones that Satan has are only those who have not turned to Jesus Christ, because should we turn to Jesus Christ, we will be free from our sin if we seek him and trust him. Not that it'll always be easy. Not that the devil will, uh, will, will just give up. No, he will continue to try to tempt us, but his power is gone through Jesus on the cross. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these things, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is, the devil 
and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Through Jesus' death on the cross, he was able to destroy the one who held the power of death. That's something that's already occurred. That's, that's something that's past tense. He has destroyed the one holding the power of death. That is Satan. Now, Jesus is the one who is in power. He is in power to free those who were once enslaved. We need not be enslaved to our sin because Jesus Christ has come to set us free. Last passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, he says, Paul says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. You see, before we couldn't stand against the devil. We could not stand against the devil. But now through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, we are equipped. It says that Jesus has taken the weapons of the enemy. It says that the stronger man has bound the strong man and taken his weapons. And now through Jesus Christ, we are equipped to stand against the tactics of the devil. Yes, he's still going to come. He's still going to attack. He's still going to tempt us. But we can overcome. We are overcomers in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful promise that is. What a beautiful truth that is to know that the devil has no more rule over our life. The Pharisees here said, look, he, he, he drives out Satan because he is Satan. But Jesus said, no, I drive out Satan because I am, I am more powerful than Satan. I drive out Satan by the very finger of God. And if Jesus Christ has overcome Satan and we are in Jesus Christ, then there is nothing that we cannot overcome by his power. Jesus has overcome our greatest enemy. We have nothing to fear. When the enemy attacks us, let us pull on, put on the full armor of God that we stand against the enemy and know that we will succeed, that we will win, that we will prevail. We are no longer a slave to sin, but we are free in God. I don't know. There may be some in here who are struggling with sin today, but I want to tell you there's freedom from that sin, and that freedom comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for these words today. And God, I pray uh, that we would, we would take them to heart, that we would know the tactics of the devil, dear Lord. And I pray that we would know that Jesus has overcome the, the best that Satan could throw, dear Lord, at you. You have overcome those things through Jesus on the cross. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be overcomers with the things that are in our life, dear Lord, that may seem tough for us to overcome, that we know that Satan has been destroyed, dear Lord. At least his power has been destroyed. We know he's still, he's still tempting, dear Lord. There are still things that go on. There's still evil in the world, dear Lord. But God, I pray that you help us to know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And God, I pray that if there is one in this room that does not have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would trust him, dear Lord, that they would come to him, that they would be covered by his blood, that their sins would be forgiven, that Satan would have nothing more to accuse them of, dear Lord, by the victory that Jesus has on the cross. And I pray, God, that if there is any in this room that has never given their life to Jesus, that today they would give their life to Him and that they would follow Him and submit to Him as Lord and Savior and as their life, dear Lord, and that they, their sins would be forgiven, God, and that they would have power over whatever the enemy may throw at them. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.